What's and been, why do you still have a cough? I don't know. Because I'm that figured not going out. to the doctor. Go see your primary. I don't have a primary. I haven't been to the doctor in like, when did I break my collarbone? Hmm. No, I, well, yeah, that was the last time I saw a real doctor. How long ago was that? Um, 2008. Tyler! <laughs> 2008? Um, no, I broke my leg after that. Yeah, I broke my leg after that. Dude, you need a primary care like physician. Those Physicals are so important. You just prostate, want to grab my nuts. Prostate cancer is starting to affect men at a younger age. All cancer. prostate cancer running your family? Dying. Well, yeah, we're all ticking time bombs, but you don't want your anus to be the bomb that explodes on you. Um, I probably already have prostate cancer. Just don't worry about it. Well, then, yeah, get in. Get your butt scoped out. I'm busy. With a pod? Yeah, doing a pod and also... Let's do a live pod. We'll get <laughs> colonoscopies together. I'm good. My dad gets like eight of those a year, it seems like. Every time I talk to him, he's like, oh, gotta, go, gotta store myself for the for the prostate check. He does do the that colonoscopy. more often than I would think. Oh, that's not a bad thing, Tyler. It's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing when he's just scheduling a lot of the blue. <laughs> that too, but at least he's proactive and not reactive. Anyway. Wolves fans, we come at you with uh, sad attitudes today. It is Tuesday, June 22nd. We'll touch base on why we're so sad in, in, a, in a bit. Um... We're adding on to last week's pod because we had some technical difficulties between the two of us, and we're hopefully going to clear that up really quick. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, the Rookie of the Year announcement for who won that, and then we'll also talk about the draft lottery and our feelings on that. What do you want to get into first? Well, let's first drop the music. Okay, so let's uh, touch base on the oldest news first. So Rookie of the Year, uh, we did find out. I don't remember what day they announced it. I don't really care because this also, like, it, it honestly didn't really, like, affect me. I didn't really care. He was a deserving candidate. I just thought that the NBA judged their awards on the same criteria, but apparently Rookie of the Year and MVP are not judged on the same criteria. Well, and not only that they were not judged or it didn't feel like they were judged on the same criteria, what also bugged they me. They straight up weren't. No, but it also bugs me, too, that, like we said in the previous pods, it already felt like this had already been decided as soon as draft night happened because LaMelo obviously is the more complete player coming mm-hmm. into the NBA. For sure. And constantly improved throughout this year, and we saw, honestly, bigger leaps and bounds on his end than LaMelo's, but that's for a multitude of reasons. Anyway, The improvement me, was better with, with Ant. That doesn't mean that he should get rookie of the year. No. It's just the fact that that's not what I'm trying a, to say. He played either, 72, 72 games. games, and then by the end of it, I felt like he's the better player. That's just how it is to me. Yeah. I mean, they serve different roles for their teams, so it's hard to compare them directly in that sort of sense of like yeah. who's the better player. Um, I just thought Ant was more deserving of it. Okay, let's just do this. I need. Felt like they had already decided who was going to be rookie of the year, and obviously them and other big media names have a big impact on like just the conversation. And well, obviously the votes too are determined by the media themselves, and so it's just it's frustrating to feel like the cards were already stacked against Ant's favor, regardless of how he was going to play. And while while you, I do think you're right in that, I I think the saying the sta- the cards are stacked against him isn't necessarily fair, um, <clears throat> because people for a rookie. And not give him rookie of the year. I mean, look at Zion. You know, he, he, I mean, yeah. everybody said he was rookie of the year. He was the best player. But he, I mean, he missed significantly more games. Even he only played in like what twenty games total, something like that. 
So like, but like, you know, he got way more coverage. John Morant deserved it. He got it. Um, my biggest thing is the it's the games played for sure. So I mean, like I said, I don't care a ton. Like, hopefully, this is motivation for Ant, and you know, he takes us to the next level. However, when you're talking about just pure stats, and you go off, let's compare the top two MVP candidates: Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. One played 51 games. One played 72 games. Correct. Correct. In those games, uh, Embiid averaged 28 and a half points. That's more points than than Jokic. Um, he averaged 10.6 rebounds. That's right around the same amount. Yes, he averaged less assists, but he averaged more blocks, more steals, and he was a way better defender. But he only played in you know 51 games. And the NBA decided, or did the writers decided that should count against him. He had a better year if you're going to break it off of, on a per game basis, and so did Lamelo. But he missed like 21 or 22 games. I'm sorry. If it counts against one awards race, why wouldn't it count against another? It just doesn't make any sense to me. But anyways, though, like I said, it's not a huge deal. It's not. It's really not that big of a deal at all. No, and looking back, like you do, we've had plenty of rookie of the years. Carl <laughs> Anthony. Thomas, we really have. Andrew Wiggins. But like, do we look back and say like, anytime we're talking about Cat, do we say like, oh, rookie of the year, Carl no, Anthony Towns, it means or former rookie of the year? Yeah, it doesn't mean. Anything, it's a nice feather really. in your cap. That's all. But I want, I want my player to be recognized, and that's my biggest thing. That's the only reason why I actually care a little bit. Yeah. Like, there's definitely bias to it, but we also watched so many of those games with Ant. We got to see, again, it's not an award based on improvement, but when he had that massive tear at the end of the season and going on that incredible stretch of just 30-plus point games and, and all the other stats thrown in with it, too, like the eye test alone at that point for me was just like, nope, Ant's definitely the rookie of the year, especially when he's shining that well and LaMelo came back and didn't really play that well and had missed plenty of games beforehand. That's, that's the other thing, too. It's not just that LaMelo missed games. It's like he didn't play that great when he came back either, necessarily. Yeah. So it's just frustrating that it's like, yeah, he missed a third of the season and didn't play well for the remaining like 10 games, I think, that he came back It was for. something like that, yeah. So it's like, again, yeah, then that's like almost half of the season where he just didn't play or wasn't playing great. Yeah, and I mean, that's one thing that is kind of held against Ant. And I mean, rightfully so. Like, if this is if they both played, I mean, if, if LaMelo just played like 10 more games... I I'd probably wouldn't have any argument against it. Obviously, he has to continue putting up these numbers. But one thing is, Ant was so bad at the beginning of the year, which is true. He he wasn't good to start the year. However, when Ant was at the end of the year, I think that player was better than Lamelo before he got injured. Like at that point, so say say Lamelo did get a little bit better and then he got injured. That Lamelo right there, which was the best Lamelo we've seen that you know during the year, was worse than the Ant we saw at the end of the regular season. Just plain and simple, in my mind, in my like from what I've been able to see, and I could be biased because I am a Wolves fan, but that's just what I believe. And I don't want to say like they traded spots because Lamelo, like, I don't know, Ant was a lot worse than like Lamelo's worse at the end of the year. But again, like if, if they're trading spots and in our eyes, plus the games missed, like it just I don't know, it feels wronged. <laughs> I feel wronged again as a Wolves fan. That's all. Yeah, a little bit. Um, so that's going to kind of lead us into our next topic here: draft lottery results. So I was happy to see number fourteen was the Warriors, just because. I mean, I had a strong inkling that they were going to get our pick anyways, and I was like, they don't need they don't need two really good picks. As you followed out as a hypothetical earlier, oh, what if they move up and they get our pick? So like, what if they end up with the one and the four? I would be pissed. Not because, like, 
anything. Just that's just cosmically they just got super super lucky. That would have been the ultimate cosmic irony to being a Wolves fan. Is not only do we lose our pick, but the people taking your pick also moved up ahead of you and got a top three pick. A semi dynasty three years ago, and and then now they have the chance to build into another you know semi dynasty very quickly too. Because I mean, I honestly I don't know about that actually. Like Wiseman's still a little bit raw. Even after playing, you know, however much he did, I know he, I don't hear his meniscus, but like, then getting another rookie, <coughs> um, it doesn't mean that they're going to be super good super quickly, which is what they almost they need to win. I mean, mm-hmm. with these two picks, you know, if they were if that were three picks technically, they would need honestly to win in the next like three years to really take advantage of Curry still being super elite. I and, agree because no offense to whoever they whoever they could have taken, like say they took you know Cade and then uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, Jalen Green, like they still have the potential to not pan out to be Curry level players, and if you don't have a Curry level player, can they can you win a championship? It's hard to say, obviously, mm-hmm. but that's so they would have to win very quickly. Um, okay, next up, I'm gonna move quickly here because I don't care about a lot of these teams. Thirteen Indiana Pacers, twelve San Antonio Spurs, eleven Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> Hornets, you suck. Um, <laughs> Ten New Orleans Pelicans, nine Sacramento Kings, eight Orlando Magic. I do want to point out Orlando because they have another pick. Um, seven, Golden State Warriors via the Minnesota Timberwolves. That's where the Wolves ended up. We were supposed to, we were technically had the fifth best odds, so we moved back two spots. What are the odds? Minnesota moves back. Holy cow. I swear, I've seen this before. Many, many a time. You mean like every single year? Yeah, except for like three times or something like that. I'm not even kidding. It's like three times within the draft lottery. It's the same. Every other time they move back at least one pick. Crazy. Okay, um, six, Oklahoma City, five, Orlando Magic. So Orlando has the five and the eighth pick. That could help them, um, you know, obviously. Well, it kickstarts their rebuild process because right now they're in shambles. Yep. Um, Number four, Toronto. They moved up. Um, And that's something that, I mean, Toronto has done a really good job of drafting, it seems like to me, within the past, like, six years-ish. Then Cleveland. Cleveland also moved up. They were not a top three team. Um then Houston, Houston sucks. It's not even going to help them. They're terrible. Don't really care. Like they're really what's going to help them? Everyone can be like, oh, they had those two good rookies. Like I don't even know their names, which is aren't good. And last but not least, Detroit, which is in the same situation as Houston. They had two good rookies, quote unquote, good rookies, and I don't know their names because they aren't actually good. I think Detroit's in a slightly better position than Houston is, though, just in terms of their roster and their players. Like they don't have a great roster, but I think they have a few better well, pieces I mean, than Houston I lie. does. Sadiq Bay is good. Yeah, Sadiq Bay Will, is if good. you're listening to Jeremy this. Grant, no, Jeremy player. Grant's a bum. He's like 30. I almost got most improved player. I don't give a crap. He's not good. He's not part of them winning a championship. Is my, no, is my thing. no, that's, yeah, that's a Sadiq good Sadiq Bay, and they have another rookie who made the all-rookie team. He's probably pretty good. I don't watch Detroit games. That's why I don't know him. <laughs> but it's not, Detroit's not really in like a crazy good situation. Um, I you do actually think- like Cleveland because they have Colin Sexton. Hopefully this this other person is going to add to them being better. Whoever whoever it ends up being, obviously they're third, they're, they got the third. So say Cade goes one or two because Detroit might decide for whatever dumb reason. I don't know why they would not draft Cade Cunningham, who's a point guard. And I don't think they have. I don't think one of their two rookies is a point guard. Sadiq Bay I think is a three. Um, so I, I think a point guard can make sense for them. But which is who Will really wanted when yeah. we had the little piece earlier. Um, but so that means Cleveland gets the pick of Jalen Green, um, Jalen Suggs, or someone else a little 
lower rated technically uh, by the draft boards. Kaminga? Is that the last name? Yeah. I've, <coughs> I feel like they would maybe benefit from Green the most. Because Green plays the three, right? The two or the three, I believe. The two or the three. And from just the highlights I've seen from all the scouting reports in the G League, they say he's kind of that three-level score. He's super athletic, has a super explosive first step. I mean, that's kind of the he only has the thing. tools. He has the tools as a you know an undrafted player, he, the best scorer. Yeah, but the tools don't mean it's going to translate no. at all, because especially from the G League to the actual NBA. Well, but the G League's different now because they actually got also. top prospects. Like he he was a top five oh, prospect going into it. So like, yeah, and they had other ones too, like the Kaminga or Kamingas. I don't know if there's an S at the end or not. Um, he was also a top recruit. He's going to go in the top ten for sure, um, possibly top five, depending on how you know stuff shakes out. Um, and they had a couple other people as well. So and then and then they do have some veterans in there though to round out and teach and you know just help help these players grow. Plus they all got paid, which is awesome. Good for mm-hmm. those dudes who did that. Smart of them in my opinion, because screw the NCAA. They're terrible, terrible money people no i'm glad the g league is moving this way and getting top prospects like that and getting the talent it, it kind of deserves because that's really the whole point of what the g league should be yeah because then it can benefit the draft in this sort of way <clears throat> so yep and like the g league can make money and getting these players involved in the systems earlier is a way funny which then makes more other players should they should want to go join them like in my opinion do you think there's a better solution to how to do the nba draft lottery than like making it a not lottery no. I don't. Yeah, no. I can't think of anything off the top of my the, head. The it's NBA just, this is, is just my anger, my the, anger yeah. manifesting. The NBA is in, far. In well, if we would have done that, we would have lost the pick anyways. Then, if we if we were just slotted where we, we number five is not protected by the top three. No, no, no. I'm I'm just saying, is there a better way to do it so we can we can end up so we have a chance up? to move up? Yeah. Well, the way to to do it is to legitimately broadcast the entire thing, like literally broadcast number you know number one being picked, broadcast number two being picked. And that way, the fans know there's no rigging it. Because right now, they do it behind closed doors. I, myself, as a Minnesota fan, knowing how many times we've moved back, do I, do, can I guarantee that they didn't rig it? No, I can't guarantee it. I, I don't think they did, but I can't guarantee it. When you sent me those Snapchats of them revealing the cards, I remembered like that's how they changed it. Because it used to be actually live, right, with the, the lottery balls? No, it was never, the lottery balls were never live. It was always the cards. Uh, um, I thought it used to be. Hmm. No, Maybe just my childhood memory. It was... Budging things up. The, so supposedly the... Who's the next great center? Whatever his name was. I want to say Akeem, but it's not Akeem. It's Ewing. So supposedly Ewing, they they lied about who got the number one pick, and they did an iced envelope. So they they switched essentially. I think the one and like the five or whatever it was, but they iced the envelope. So they when he grabs the the card, they know just grab the cold one and then pull it. And hey, that's the that's the Knicks. We know it. So they get the number one pick. They get Patrick Ewing. It's pretty far-fetched, honestly. But mm-hmm. supposedly that's what they did. And then supposedly the Cleveland draft getting LeBron was, I think there's there's some crazy stuff about that one being rigged, too. Cause Interesting. An accurate kid going home when they don't think they had the number one odds to get, to get it that year. I think they had, like, the number three, which is still whatever. But given still, just how huge of a name he was already. Like, yeah, already. And then obviously what it became. Perfectly, yeah, yeah. Um, But I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't I honestly don't think anything is rigged. But broadcast it. You can. I don't care how I many, how that, long that it's going to take. You can literally. Then just, I feel better about it. Yeah. At least seeing like I would rather see the odds crumble away live in front of my hands. Like well, and just like all, all you do is you just so you don't have to post it. Like you can do the same reveal show at that that time, and then on the NBA's website, just literally just 
posts this large chunk of video. I don't know how long it actually takes them to do it. I know it's hours because they have to have all the ping pong balls set up a certain way and they have to go through the certain scenarios and you're not going to have all of them done, you know, just because like it's 14 teams. I don't know what 14 times 13 is or whatever it is or whatever. It's the, yeah, there's a lot of different scenarios and they're going to do them all. So they're going to do them all as they go. Yeah. Say so it takes four hours, just post it on there. If someone, and trust me, there will be people that watch it. They will watch every single second of it to make sure the NBA isn't cheating. Uh-huh. They will find flaws in it. There will be a flicker, and they'll be like, they rigged it right there. Yep. But I don't yep. care because I'm believing they're being honest, and that's what they could do to make us all feel better. Yeah, um, it, well, it's just another thing to attract ratings, too. It just makes it more exciting to have it be well, this it's, actual it's live online event. content, too. You, get, you have different sponsors online, so you get people to look at your website rather than watching this. It was like a, seriously, it was like a, Less than 10 minute little thing with the, with the picks. I didn't pay attention to anything until they started doing picks. And it looked boring as hell when in those Snapchat videos, too, because it's just like, oh, you ripped an going envelope. Quick, and then, though. Yeah. Which was nice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they can't flatten it. They, can't, they have to have, they have to literally have to have a lottery because if they don't, it's just too impactful to get their number one overall pick some years. Like, say, the LeBron year, the Patrick Ewing year, the Tim Duncan year. Well, and it doesn't help the tanking situation because they're already like, they say they're trying to crack down on tanking and like they're trying to do fines and making sure that players play. But yeah, also, sure what happened this year when uh, what's his face for Detroit set out the last like 30 games when yeah. he wasn't injured? Yep. Oh, did I just say that out loud? Mason Plumley too. Like rest, like all, <clears throat> all their players. Rest, yeah. rest, rest. Like, yeah, it's just frustrating to see those kinds of things too. And like, I'm not saying the Timberwolves should have tanked. I wanted to see us continue to build chemistry and work together as a team and like see what we have. But I don't know. I'm, oh, yeah. And, and again, like it's not. I would still rather have D'Lo than Wiggins in the, this number seven pick. So no, we can put a number. That's another to thing it. I have to keep in mind with perspective is just like, no, what's the actual other side of this? If like we didn't switch the scenario, yeah, like, if we didn't do that trade, and yeah, I'd much rather have D'Lo. Um. Oh, actually, I thought of another topic. Sorry, I guess I didn't introduce right away. There's Surprise. been some hot rumors about the Wolves potentially trying to get Ben Simmons. Well, how do you feel about that? I think it could work. The thing is, I want to see him play power forward. Yep. I don't want to see him playing point guard, especially yep. with what we have. Actually, to get Simmons, we probably have to trade D'Lo, don't For we? For sure. And that's because that's what Philly would want. Um, apparently, you think they'd Zach want Lowe said... They have yeah. so many... Like, apparently, Zach Lowe said if the Wolves wanted to get the trade done, not in those words, um, he pretty much said that they'd have to trade D'Lo and Beasley, which means, though, we'd, we'd be getting Simmons and something else, like maybe Corkmans or something, because yeah, Paul Mill's season. Can you give me Tybal? I don't think they'll part with Tybal. <laughs> Ryan For and sure, I were going no. back and forth in IMs about this. I don't think they would. <clears throat> He's too much. Easy, though. Easy, though. If you get a point card that can score and you need well, less wing depth. What's their idea in trading Simmons away? To get D'Lo immediately and still be a contender, yeah. right? And yeah. to get and to get shooting. Now, Tybal can't shoot necessarily. Curry. Yeah, we would have to trade D'Lo and Beasley to get it done. But Not technically, because D'Lo and Simmons make about the same amount. And I think we would technically take back less. But let's give them matter. Beasley, Culver, and Ricky. <laughs> um, I feel like they could go for that. Like that's that's a possibility. It's a possibility. I think the money might work out too. So the money really, might work out. It really doesn't. The positions work out. We would take back less, but so. Um, I said. I said if we're gonna do this trade, hypothetically, and we're giving up D'Lo and Beasley, I want Shake Milton or who's the other point guard now? I can't think of what his name is. It just slipped out of my head. Tyrese Maxey. I would prefer Tyrese Maxey because he showed up more in the playoffs this year. And Milton, sure. remember He'll last year too when, when it was like, in the playoffs. oh, Milton's the solution to all Philly's problems last year. And then they got in the playoffs and it's like, not really. But I think Some he still has upside. X Factor is always the solution yeah, to Philly's problems. For sure. Okay, so anyways, uh, the Simmons for Beasley, I'd like it, but we need a point guard. We still, you know what I mean? Like, if we get rid of Dilo, do you really want to be starting Ricky next year? Mm, I-, I want someone no. with more upside. No offense. <clears throat> 
it would do, but I don't think it, it would get us to the position we want to be by making this trade. Um, and it would actually force Simmons to play the one. But, I mean, to, to be fair, though, you don't have to... You, it's There's so much position flexibility. So just because Simmons is taking the ball up doesn't mean he has to... He has to play with anyone, you know. Obviously, he's not playing with many people smaller than him. But, like, you don't have to have a traditional four in the game with Ben Simmons. No, he can play off ball. Actually, what I would like to see is uh, Ant bringing the ball up or Cat bringing the ball up. Simmons, is at this point, I feel like he just needs to convert to, like, some sort of, like, weird like blue yellow pie power forward and just kind of embrace that no, role re- he's red yellow red yellow yeah yeah he but still like, likes some finishing with red yellow um my thing with but Simmons that's is what i want to see is just like him banging down low and being on offense and like scoring that way and like making good cuts and like setting off ball screens for people oh. or direct on ball for pick and roll situations well, I don't know what he could do he could have a similar ish of a you know, minus a three point shooting, which isn't great, but a similar offense to Miles Bridges. Miles Bridges ain't nothing special. He's a freaking slasher, and he can be effective. Ben Simmons can be effective. One thing that, why he wasn't effective, in my opinion, because his coach shit on him, and the best player on the team shit on him. Just case in point, we'll just watch the press conferences with Embiid and Doc Rivers after the, after their Game Seven loss to Atlanta. Just watch it. Just listen to what they have to say about Simmons because it's not yet. pretty. Yikes! Like, I mean, it's not like horrible, but it's just like both both lawyers are just like, no, fuck this guy, he's not good. But they didn't say it like that. And then Rivers coming on first, no, don't worry, guys, we got a plan. No, just just don't worry about it, we got a plan. He's gonna be way better next year. Gonna fix his free throw. He's gonna have some jumper now. No, you're not. Because yeah, that just happens in one off season. Yeah, exactly. You know, just like how a player in their fifth year now, or will be their fifth year. I think so. Yeah. It just doesn't happen overnight. Sorry, or over yeah. one off season. And if it hasn't happened in five seasons, it's probably not going to happen. If it doesn't Case happen in the entire life, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Giannis can't shoot. Stop it's trying fine. to make top of the arc threes happen, Giannis and Ben Simmons. I don't know. I would like the trade. I'd really like to see it because we just need, even if he's a weird, unique, hybrid power forward for us, we could make that work, given our other uh, players and their skill sets, too. My thing this year was literally, or not this year, this week, um, before, obviously, the draft, and at the end of last week as well, <clears throat> um, it was if we get to keep our pick and we have a top three pick, odds are we're getting Cade Cunningham, or obviously that's if we get one, or we're getting Jalen Suggs, or he's available for us. If you get that player, Delo can become expendable for a player like Simmons because we have our floor general now. We we I mean still like you know what I mean like he's I mean they're not going to put up with what Delo does. Delo is going to be a better shooter than them right away, especially. Possibly forever. Who knows? Delo is a good shooter. He's just playing it simple. He's a good shooter. He's a good scorer. He's a lefty that throws people off. But if you can get, you know, what, what, say, 65% rookie season of Delo, but you upgrade your power forward possession or position by getting Ben Simmons by like 3,000%. I was going to say by 98%. We're getting about 2% production out of our power forward spot. Um, Case in point, we started Jaden McDaniels before he was ready. Forced him into a role that he wasn't comfortable with. Used him a lot on defense, like uh, when Ben Simmons is used. Oh, 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 man, it's crazy! It's crazy! Oh my gosh! Um, and then we started uh, Vando, who's like offensively, I mean, worse than Simmons. Quite much so. Yeah, and he has no passing and still no shooting, and his defense and his is defense is lackluster. It's all right. It's, it's all right at the best. Rebounding's great. Yeah, but the defense itself is lackluster. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Simmons is a huge my, upgrade there. My only worry or would be. is, do you think this affects Cat? Because I know him and D'Lo are really close. Or do you think Cat's able to keep it professional and is 
If we were to trade Elo, it would affect Cat. I don't know how exactly. That's, that's what I would worry about. Though. You have to worry about the team chemistry too, not just like who's a good fit, like uh, play style wise, but like actual like teammate friendship chemistry. Chemistry too. is, like, a, do you is think, an important thing. Do you think that sours Cat in any way? I think it does for about a week, and then, and then he welcomes Simmons. Well, and, and then like, A Rod calls him and goes, "Hey, I know I'm just a minority owner right now. I played only like twenty whatever years of baseball. Sometimes you don't win with your friends." That's true, and I'm hoping that's because like th- that's something that he can directly relate to. Whether whether Were him and Jeter are not friends, I, I don't know that I, I I have no idea. Or like how I don't I don't just, I don't think they were because they were, they met later. I mean maybe they were like you know like like buddies, but not like yeah. not like you know like like Cat and Hilo. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, actually that speaks to a good point too because it's just like thinking about when I'm at work or trying to get stuff done. Sometimes it's better to not be with your friends because you might you're less not, productive. Yeah, you're less productive. You can agree to take it seriously but at the end of the day how serious can you actually take it can you push it to that level of like we're gonna make the playoffs yeah and, and some and people can win a championship some people can Dwayne Wade Chris Bosh and LeBron James were supposed to be really good friends they won two championships together they were very good all three of them um so it, you can make it work and I'm and I'm not saying that they couldn't and they can't but odds are against them being Cat and Dilo because I mean it's just we just we just know I mean just look at their talent levels what they've done previous seasons I don't see enough of a translation for us winning a championship. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's enough trade talk. So. Yep. All right. Greg. There's nothing else I want to add. So, yeah, yeah let's, let's sign off. Say it's been about a half an hour. Let's, let's, let's get off. out of here. All right. Well, stay classy, Santiago. Straight out of Minneapolis. Peace. We're live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome back, Wolf fans, to another episode of the house that KG built. I am one of two hosts, Greg, the producer extraordinaire. Sitting across from me in the new studio is the content maestro, Cheeto. Yep. How does it feel to be in the new studio? I like it because I don't have to leave. It's in my house, so I don't have to do anything. You don't like sitting across the table, having a face-to-face conversation. That's not the benefit. I wish the table was two to three inches higher. It's my thing. Yeah, we're kind of crouching over. Like, oh, I actually men. had an idea on how to fix this. I got this. Yeah. So we're in the new studio. Feels great. Because we're going to be temporarily recording for the next few weeks. So yeah, we're going to be talking about more of the Kevin Garnett book, of course, because it's the off season and this book is amazing. So it's great content. And then we're also going to dive into the draft lottery for a little bit because that yeah. is next week, uh, Tuesday, June twenty second. I don't know what day of the week it is. It's just the twenty second. <laughs> well, today's the fifteenth, so that makes the twenty second. Next Tuesday. A week from today. Sure. But yeah, anyways, um, yeah, just a couple topics. Keep it short and sweet today. Today we're going to be covering the letters G, H, and I from the book. And uh, starting it off with G, there's one topic that I want to start off with, Kenny G. Wait, before you go anywhere, I just want to do one quick thing. Crack an alcoholic beverage. Cops to going first and not following the lead. So in the Kenny G segment, Kevin Garnett talks about relaxing through meditation listening to music and other things like cupping and getting massages. He also mentions the hyperbaric uh, chamber. Which, which comes up in a different part as well. Mm-hmm. And he claims to be the first player to actually introduce that into the league and like as a way of recovery. Yep. Props to him. It's got to be an expensive investment. But what I liked about this was just he said you need to welcome relaxation, value relaxation, understand that deep relaxation is the key to de-stressing any system. For somebody like him as an NBA player playing at that level, 
you obviously have to be able to like turn off that switch at the end of the day. And it's just nice to see Kevin Garnett as more of a human being rather than just like a freak athlete with that attitude on the court. And I just bring up the point that he brings us up with the title Kenny G. It, it puts an importance on music, which he has kind of stressed. He stresses throughout the book. He has in the past and he does in the future of the book as well. Music is always something that you can tell it's been important to him. And mm-hmm. it's one more thing that does humanize him because it's what can he or what can you kind of relate with him? Like he has a section on DMX we didn't touch base on. Mm-hmm. Um, but music throughout the book and obviously throughout his life is something that was important and spoke to him. And he talks about being able to listen to like the smoother side of like jazz and R&B like Kenny G. And then also have the contrast of stuff that like hypes you up like Jeezy and uh, Gucci Mane. He brings up him later too. He also just talks about like manifesting your mind to get what you want in life. And he said before he went to Boston, he already had that uh, vision in his head of like, oh, I'm going to go there. I'm going to hook up with Paul Pierce. We talked about playing in the NBA before. We're going to get a championship. Which he was already starting to speak that into his head. A little foreshadowing. Paul Mm -hmm. Pierce does come up again later in We'll talk about them today. Mm-hmm, definitely. All right. Um, the next one I had was Getaway. Um, we left off last pod, last part, about with uh, Fists, him getting into that you know, important fight in his life, not necessarily in the best ways. Um, Getaway, though, is kind of literally picks up directly from there. Um, he He's had multiple court appearances at this point in time. You know, he talks about that. And his court-appointed lawyer actually, or not court-appointed, I think they hired a lawyer. Um, he actually does his best to get KG out of the state, essentially, because... The punishment for what he did is drastically different. So he even says he left North Carolina for Chicago um, to be on probation there because the penalty for his quote-unquote lynching was literally a misdemeanor carrying a $50 fine. <clears throat> exactly. What the, the difference of where it? you live. Think about where Chicago is. Think about where North Carolina is. I know. It's just sad to see those differences and that you literally <laughs> have to move across the country because of something like that. Yeah. Um, so with this too, um, he talks about how he, his mom and him and his little sister hopped on a plane. He talks about how he had the aisle seat and there still wasn't enough room for him, more humanizing things. Mm-hmm. And then they got to the airport in Chicago and he said they were waiting at the baggage claim for their bags. He grabs his and his sister's bags and his mom goes, okay, see ya. And she left them in the airport, kind of knowing what he was going to do. And what he did was he called or figure out how to call his coach from his like, you know, summer camp basketball camp or whatever which was coach nelson william nelson <clears throat> he calls him the wolf uh and he ended up actually just calling the school and speaking to the principal and the principal you know hooked him up with the hooked him up with the coach or whatever and it makes me think if if what he said was accurate i i think they knew this was going to happen because literally he says his mom just left him there but the the principal goes oh yeah uh you know Coach, Coach Nelson's told me a lot about you. It's like, why would he tell him a lot about some random kid yeah, yeah, if yeah. this wasn't already in the works? Mm-hmm. But that's, you know, it's good, obviously. It means there was planning involved instead of just a mom leaving two of her kids in an airport in Chicago. I mean, it's something he still feels like, not slighted about, but it's something that clearly pushed him to excel and, like, become a better brother, embrace what he was going to do in the NBA. Like, he saw this as a big moment in his life and a big moment of change and was just like, nope, now's the time that I need to grow up. Yeah, which is a, the next part that I'm going to talk about. Anyways, though, um, he said he called Coach. He came and picked him up, and he even references at that point in time, Coach Nelson had no girlfriend, no kids, so he actually was able to kind of you know drop everything to help help a kid out. And he came within 30 minutes to pick up you know KG and his sister. His sister slept on the couch. KG slept on the ground, and that's kind of where they leave it right there. Mm-hmm. Um, until and the, he references he they're going to stay with him until they got set up. So, um, but yeah, that's kind of what I want to talk about from Getaway because it just ties directly into kind of where we left off with fists. 
And what I like about the book is as you go through the letters A to Z, you get to know more and more of the story, but it's still chronological, even though you might be jumping around with different letters or yeah. something. It's really well written. And so, yeah, you, you, you listeners are going to get just kind of like a piece by piece bit of like Kevin Garnett's life here and just like the transition from high school to NBA player. Um, is that it? Forget away? That's it. Forget away for me. So the next thing I have is the go. I didn't I didn't touch on that. OK, so the go is, I believe, Kevin Garnett's slang for referring to Chicago. I believe that's correct. And more specifically, the go in his mind is referring to all these different basketball courts that he would go around and play basketball on. But to add to it, these basketball courts also related to gang territories is what he made it sound like. Oh, for sure. And I guarantee it did. And he just talks about like, obviously, if you're living in bad parts of a city, especially Chicago, you're going to have to know neighborhoods, boundaries and borders and learn like the rules and in and outs of each gang and who owns territory where and how that changes on the daily. But and I would say he benefited a ton because a he was obviously a gifted athlete. But also, I think not being from Chicago, and everyone had to have known that. This guy doesn't talk like a kid from Chicago. For sure, that Southern draw. I'm I'm hoping then that they assumed, hey, this guy isn't affiliated with anybody else, so he was able to kind of meander between all these different, like, because he makes it sound like there are a lot of them, and Mm -hmm. I don't know that part of it. I just, you know, it's good, and it's kind of cool that a guy like him, and he, I mean, he's brought it up previously about how he's kind of able to smooth top people. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, they had to put to work here. Yep. And it's kind of cool just to know that he kind of did something like that, and he was he, able to do it. He refers to himself as like a chameleon in this moment of his life. Like, he was able to go in and kind of blend in and fit in, but also reap all the benefits of playing with all that talent, too, I'm sure. Yeah. But he used the basketball courts as a way to kind of keep his ear out and figure out how to be safe in the streets of Chicago. But also, he just kind of knew that he was going to be, like, wading into dangerous territory, obviously, by playing in these neighborhoods. And here's a quote from him. Gangbangers ain't your typical fans on the sideline. If they think you committed a dirty foul, they might break out their artillery and aim it at your face. And this is where he learned to gab and kind of like talk his way out of situations like you were saying, like mm-hmm. be a smooth talker. Because um, he said he would usually respond with something like, well, we're hooping hard because that's all we know. And like, I'm not going to come here to your court and disrespect you by not playing hard. So just being able to smooth talk your way out of a situation with somebody pointing a gun in your face, that's something I'm glad I never had to do. And it's also ballsy for him. Very ballsy. Because I guarantee that didn't keep him away. I guarantee he went back the next day or whatever, whenever the next organized games were. It's nothing that was going to stop him, which is... It just speaks to his mentality and his perseverance. Like, if somebody pointed a gun at my face, I'd never be playing basketball with them again. Yeah, I would never want to see them again. No. Because if you pulled a gun at me that time while we're just playing basketball, what happens if I get the last hot dog in front of you in the hot dog cart? Like, what, what, what kind of reaction do you do then? Like, mm-hmm. in both instances, there's really nothing wrong being done. Like, a hard foul is a hard foul. If you're playing basketball, you understand that. If you're not, you might not. Yep. It was just interesting to see his take on growing up in Chicago, playing in all those different areas, getting into those uh, situations. Yeah. Got anything else? Nope. All right. So my next one was growing up. He just brings up how he had to grow up, how he had to take responsibility for his little sister. He talked about knowing how to get her to school, learning the train systems and the buses in order to make sure that she was able to attend class. Obviously, you assume he's doing the same thing for himself because he did graduate high school. Um, And he also said, you know, putting food on the table is something that was now falling on his shoulders rather than, you know, his and his mom's. Mm -hmm. Because he talked about North Carolina, how you, you know, or the brown paper bag. It's just another instance of him kind of doing that. And he also said it it introduced him to playing in the Midnight League. And he literally calls it the most competitive league he ever played in. Um, And I don't, I, I can't imagine that's, 
factually correct, but at the same time, competitiveness doesn't mean that it's the best league. Obviously, the NBA you would hope is the best league and the most competitive. No, there can be heart and effort that goes into that that makes it competitive. Yeah. And the fact that you're playing at midnight, that part, that that just also baffled me reading the book. Like, yeah. he would play three to four games a day, it, like just during the daylight at these courts on the go. And then he would like go home and sleep for a few hours, wake up at midnight, and then go play three to four more games. Like, well, he even said, though, this was, this was, he didn't say it was three to four games. He said this was after four to five hours of playing basketball, then he'd end up playing there. So he's already slightly burned out but he's still going there to play because he wants to keep getting better and you know competing that's work ethic actually yeah. that's just insanity that's not even a work ethic yeah pretty much <laughs> um that was all i wrote down for growing up do you have any other points no you that's all i got from it all right got anything else for g that was nope. my last g that was all my right. last g what's your first h headphones i didn't do headphones go for it um so h headphones was the first topic that i wanted to talk about so kevin garnett starts off with this old man rant of how when he came into the league nobody had beats headphones everybody had like a walkman correct. cd players with headphones like this that get tangled up anytime you look away it was just funny i guess to see him go on that old man rant because then at the very end of the chapter he talks about being on the opposite end of that when he went to boston and then you have players like tony allen coming yeah. on into the locker room with their newest generation Beats headphones that cancel out everything, but you can still hear the music and you could crank that volume up yeah. as loud as your phone let you. And so Kevin Garnett, when he's first telling the story, he came in as like the young rookie who was like doing his own pregame ritual. And he was going up to the vets and like banging on their chest and like getting pumped up by his own music and like shouting and screaming while they're all trying to like, you know, have their like quiet, peaceful pregame yeah. meditation. And then to be on the flip end when Tony Allen himself is doing that with his new Beats headphones. And then Kevin Garnett just has that moment of realization like, wait, old like he's yeah. pissing me off i'm trying to focus and now he's the think, one like going off and like jamming out to his music like, i think one thing too he he brought up was the difference in taste in music how when he was a kid he's like i can't believe these old dudes don't get my music and then tony allen came in listening to something he'd never heard before and he's just like what is this but then he remembered back and, and then he he actually i think he brings up talking to him about what he was listening to and I don't remember who it was, but he's like, oh. It was Gucci Mane. Well, yeah, it was Gucci Mane. So then he, from that point on, he started listening to Gucci Mane, mm-hmm. and it broadened his his musical horizon, which is kind of cool. It's yeah. it's a thing that not a lot of people necessarily do, going, hey, I don't like that because I don't know it. But then realizing, no, I don't, it's not that I don't like it. It's I don't know this. What is mm-hmm. this? Let me try to see if it give her a chance. Yeah, yeah. And he uh, said all the old – Kevin Garnett said when he was a young or a young rookie all the old vets would be listening to like R&B and like smooth jazz yeah. and stuff like that, which is hilarious because I can't see myself getting pumped up from that in any way. Again, young kid speaking to the old vet heads here. Yeah. Like, I don't know how that would pump me up. But then there was also something he touched on in the book that like Michael Jordan would apparently like sing these R&B hits to people as he was like <laughs> breaking them down on the court. <laughs> That's pretty funny. It's certainly no Tim Duncan trash talk. But um, One thing too, he brings up, um, in headphones about how he'd walk around not with the Walkman but with the CD player the portable CD players and as a kid from the 90s I definitely had like three of those because I couldn't afford good ones so they broke constantly <laughs> and I do I remember walking around just being pumped I'm like yeah I get to listen to I don't know what I was listening to at the time because this was like 1998 2005 maybe 2005 and just being like yeah this is cool I'm super cool I got my CD player no big deal mm-hmm and he didn't really say it, but he was for sure feeling cool because he had the he had the portable for sure player, rather like, than a Walkman. That that stuff was like space age levels of technology. Like what being able to take your music on the go with headphones, like it was super empowering. So yeah. that's what I liked about uh, headphones. See him relate to music because that's important to him, obviously. But then just to get those stories of like his perspective from being young and listening to music, and then being the old one yeah. and still branching out and listening to music. So. All right, let's move it along. Next yep. topic for you. What do you got? I got Hollywood. Same. So I only wrote down a couple little things because I just 
there's a lot of information in this, and a lot of it's part really the second point. So Hollywood, this started because it was a tournament in Inglewood, which meant he had to go to California for the first time. He talks about how he had to get his mom's permission. He actually said he wanted her there. I can't remember if she actually went with him or not, but it was a big step for him because this is the AAU circuit. This is him legit branching out with the best of the best. And it ended up with him meeting a young kid named Paul Pierce, which is a huge point for him because he and Paul Pierce were lifelong friends since that point, since they met. And at one point, Paul Pierce actually tries to get him and recruit him, essentially, not successfully, because his mom didn't want didn't want Cameron in California. Um, but he tries to get him to, instead of going to Farragut Academy, he wants him to go to whatever, I can't remember what high school, it's it's got a name because it's a good school. And his mom said, no, you're going to go to Chicago. And obviously it worked out great for him. Mm-hmm. But it's just kind of funny because something that was that could have been such a highlight for him playing with Paul Pierce and potentially, I mean, that could have changed his outlook on going to school or not because if he was even better friends with Paul Pierce, maybe he follows him to whatever school he's at because he ends up getting the grades high enough to go to school. Like He could have went to college if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. He just didn't because why when you're you know, Kevin Garnett? <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize how close he was with Paul Pierce, even like when he went out there and he was saying like Paul Pierce helped him like download LA and that's what they go over a lot of in this chapter is just the different things going on in Los Angeles yep. and showing him around. I guess it's just cool to see his take and his perspective on like when these relationships began and like what could have been like if he went to California and yeah. had played with him out there like I don't know just who knows what would have happened if their career paths in the NBA would have changed differently because of that as soon as they were out there and playing together they already established like we want to play together in the NBA someday like yeah. that's where that bond was already formed so also I didn't know Shaq was the one who gifted Paul Pierce, the the nickname, the truth, because they cover that a little bit in the book. Yeah, I, well, I remember reading I, that now, but I didn't know that as well either. When I yeah, the first time Paul Pierce, or, uh, Boston was playing the Lakers, and the Lakers um, ended up beating them by like 15 points. But Paul Pierce dropped like 42 points on 13 of 19 shooting, and then Shaq went up to the reporter and was just like, "I always knew Paul Pierce could play, but that motherfucker is the truth." It's impressive. Mm-hmm. To get compliments from, from like the best player at that time, like I mean, I'll I'll stand I'll stand by this. I don't care who says what. Shaq was the most dominant player ever for any stretch of time obviously it's got to be a short stretch for him it was like a four-year stretch the year before they won the title and then the, the three-peat no one could stop track like you can see it you want about mj mj won three rings and then came back and won three rings but they didn't create rules for mj to stop him Correct. they created rules so he could score better not the other way around mm-hmm. and now granted the rules weren't there they created strategies because hack a shack wasn't a thing until 2000 like exactly it was like the only way you could stop this big dude is to freaking follow him every single time mm-hmm. Is that it for Hollywood? Yeah, that's it for me. You got so, anything else for H? Hot dog. All right, you go for it. I didn't write anything So down. hot dog refers to this one particular day at school when KG was now at Farragut in Chicago. And one of the Latin Kings, which is a Latino gang in the school. And by the way, Farragut, he said, was like 85% Latino. I didn't yeah, know something that. Like that. So one of these gang members throws a hot dog in Kevin Garnett's face and says, what's up, Holmes? <laughs> <laughs> and... KG doesn't really think this through. He says this himself. He's like, these guys were like packing heat every single day. Like, but my dumb ass from the South doesn't realize this. And so I go over and I proceed to instigate a fight with this dude. And he eventually wins because Kevin Garnett's a huge person <laughs> yep. and very physical and very aggressive. And I can't remember the name of, well, he just calls him hot dog man is the, the gang member. Um, but this well, gang one member. One thing to think about too. This is less than a year removed from KG getting in a fight in North Carolina, getting expelled from school, potentially going to jail and now being on on probation and Here he is starting again. a potential race fight like i mean it could again, be interpreted yep. that way not saying oh. it should be but it could have been it could have been if the school's <clears throat> with his past latino yeah. and you're one of the few black kids then yeah yeah exactly even if they're a gang but so kevin garnett beats up hot dog man and then one of the other gang members or like the leader of the gang seven gun comes over <laughs> and tells kevin garnett like hey you just beat up my man and 
really quick, he's called Seven Gun. I'm guess you can guess why. Sometimes gang names aren't very creative or as clever as you'd think. Are they ever creative? I mean, Hot Dog Man's name was Hot Dog Man because he threw a hot dog in front of KG's face. If he didn't go by Hot Dog Man like two years after that, because that would mean KG would have been in the NBA, I'm very disappointed in this gang. It's also just true. Saying. So Seven Gun comes over, reveals all seven of his guns to Kevin Garnett. It is like, you just beat up my dude. He said, now the price you have to pay is, I see that you're the big hooper in the school. You have to get me on your basketball team. So... Kevin Garnett ends up getting him on the basketball team. It's just funny to see that it works out that way, like a funny, hilarious story. But this brawl ends up getting one of the gang members onto the high school basketball team. And Kevin Garnett said he was actually really good. I was going to say, he's a really good player. He played with a lot of heart and effort, and he could shoot threes. He said he fit into the team really, really well. So I just thought that was a funny story. Like a funny incident turns into something great for his basketball career. Well, and yeah, it turns into like a. Not like a teaching, but a growing moment because, hey, I just got in a fight with your homie, and now we're going to be friends, and I'm going to help you on the basketball team. And yeah. I'm yeah. sure that for that year, they were probably decent friends. You know, like, you're playing basketball together. It's pretty hard not to be friends with the people you're on a basketball team with. And that's a great, like, story of how you met that friend, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You got anything else? Nope. Not for H. Okay. So the first one I had an I is insomnia. Me, too. <clears throat> Only for one reason. Gatorade and coffee? That's... Fucking disgusting. That's my F bomb pod. Absolutely disgusting. Gross. Don't care the reasons. Don't care about anything else. That's horrible. Is that why you put down insomnia? Because that's why I did. Yeah. Well, and because that one he does mention, he was the first player in the NBA to have a hyperbaric chamber. Um, he's He was speaking to the point of now where a lot of players use that as sleep aids because you sleep in that. It helps your recovery a lot because mm-hmm. um, you recover a lot when you're sleeping already. Then you go into one of those and helps it even more. And the financial impact of it, like you brought it up already, I can't even imagine how much that thing would have cost him at that point in time. It's one thing to go to like a clinic and like get a prescription or an order for something and then go do that thing at a clinic. But like when you're buying this to install into your own home, that's like an investment. Yeah. Um, But the reason why this got brought up is at this point in his life, this is, you know, his senior year of high school. He talked about how he was not getting a ton of sleep because he was literally going from, you know, basketball game to basketball game during the day when he could. Helping out his sister as yeah. well. Just, and both of them trying to finish school. So many things going on. And then life. going to the midnight games and then get that getting done at, say, 2.30. And then he would need time to unwind after that. So then he gets up in the morning. He still needs hydration. He still needs energy. So he's mixing freaking coffee and Gatorade. Awful. The coffee's to wake him up. The Gatorade's to keep him hydrated. That's how he said it. <laughs> We should try that. One of these podcasts. Gatorade No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm also not putting guac let's, on a corn dog. Let's make a bet. No. The loser of whatever It bet. depends on the bet, obviously. I have to be confident I'm going to win. The loser of the bet has to drink Gatorade and coffee. We'll think on this. Okay. We can come up with something good. Yeah. All right. Anything else for insomnia? No, just that also like it transitioned. The insomnia continued when he got into the league because it just shows how much NBA players have to travel. And like you might have a back-to-back game. Then you come home on the flight. You might not get back till 3 or 4 in the morning. And then you have practice the next day at 9 a.m. When the league was younger, there wasn't as much value put on players' health in terms of like recovery and sleep. And I think a lot of it was just they didn't have the knowledge. They didn't yeah. know what was really good for you and what wasn't. And sleep is really good for you. They just figured, oh, elite athletes, you just need to practice and practice and play and play. Like we brought this up before. Nelson Cruz, when he signed with the Minnesota Twins as a, as a free agent, he asked if they had a nap room. They built him a nap room. Naps are very good, by the way. Getting sleep is very, very good. And so, yeah, yeah, you're right, though. They didn't have the knowledge of player safety or player health, I should say, not safety, but safety as well. Um, And they just didn't know what they were doing because technology has advanced so far that we're able to better determine what 
what is best for these people. Mm. That's all I have for insomnia. Mm. All right. The only um, other I, I have is invitation. Same. And that's my last one. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start it? You can start it. So invitation, uh, he starts off by talking about how his test scores with the SAT was really bringing him down. It was really weighing on him mentally because he wasn't getting good enough scores to get into colleges that he wanted Clearly to. Clearly not getting good enough sleep too. Like his <laughs> life was just very, probably not well balanced. No. And he had a friend and he doesn't name the friend. I was looking everywhere for this. I thought it was Bug. It. And I, when I reread it myself, I couldn't find yeah. the name. Um, he just says a friend was trying to get me out and he wants, he told me he wanted to go ball. And I don't think they actually end up playing basketball um but he goes yeah i know this court down here by the by here and what they end up doing is sneaking into a into a bulls practice and he said he watched mj and pippen play a couple of games of i don't know if they're playing one-on-one or what they're doing because they had to have another player present as at least a third because eventually a security guard yells up hey hey you big guy wanna come down here and kg asks his buddy for which he still doesn't name so i don't know why he didn't name him but anyways though he gets his shoes from his buddy, puts them on, and goes on and plays. And <clears throat> Pip immediately starts talking shit, which is awesome. You love to you love to see that. He goes, "You're too young to be here. You can't you can't do this." And MJ turns to KG and he goes, "You're guarding Pip." So he proceeds to guard Pip, and I think he said he immediately looks at him, gets the ball, and does something crazy, and shoots a deep three. And he goes, "No way, he just shot that. No way, he just made that. What's going on here?" And then he and then it clicked, and he got into KG mode, and he started competing. I think he said he got a couple of dunks and. But that would be the switch to turn me on. Like, okay, that sounded weird. Um, that would that would just be like the go time moment. Like, if I'm stepping onto this court, I would want to puke and throw up, like internally. I probably would. And then the moment, like, you just you have enough confidence to take that shot over the Scotty Pippen, and you make it. Like, oh my! I mean, oh, like, Pippen made the three over him. Oh, I and thought then, it was the reverse. And then, and then that's what clicked in him. Then he was KG's, locked in. KG's freak mentality goes instead of being now that makes me more nervous because. The dude just sank a deep three over me in a practice. Now now it's on, now it's and pit. now he gets yeah, a couple yeah, yeah, of dunks, yeah. and yeah. Still very cool that that's the thing that it, it just shows the passion he has, like that he just turns that competitive switch on and off. Because like we've said before, just knowing him, you'd think that switch is on all the time, but it's not. Yeah, and realistically, you can't expect to be on all the time, but I do, because well, it's Kevin for, Garnett. Yeah, exactly. That's all I have for invitation. Or Same. Just commenting on what you said, because it was a really cool moment, really cool story. Like that's a once-in-a-lifetime mm-hmm. thing, and it clearly inspired him, because it's what led, because didn't MJ or Scotty say at the end of it, like, you no. Isaiah Thomas, Isaiah Thomas was for some reason at the practice as well because he had just he was dealing with an injury or he and I think he retired like the next year or something like that. So Isaiah Thomas was at this thing and he approached Kevin Garnett. And was like, and you should be playing in the NBA. Yeah. Like so you're good enough to go to the NBA now. Yeah. You don't need to go to college. Yeah. And so it's just weird that at the time he got those SAT scores and was feeling really down about not being able to potentially get into college to have this very like opportune moment and be told by one of the greatest NBA players of all time, like, no, you should go to the NBA. Like, that's, it's magical. Yeah, and that's actually the next portion, which is titled Isaiah. So he was at the practice. He literally goes, I never asked him why he was there that day. Never asked me why I was there that day. We was we just were one of those comet or cosmic coincidences. And yeah, so he literally comes up and he says, literally, Kevin, you just took on Scotty Pippen. Scotty's the best player in the league. Boy, you could play in the league right now. And I mean, we talked about it with the uh, Kevin Garnett induction speech. Why he had Isaiah Thomas there to represent him, or there, or there to you know introduce him, even though he didn't introduce him because KG went first. It's just that was another great who didn't play by all accounts. He didn't play in the scrimmages, but he just was like, dude, you just took on Scotty Pippen, whether he won or not, which I don't really say because I'm assuming I'm assuming Scotty probably got the better of him. Just he's got more at the time, more more of everything. Mm-hmm. But you're still talking about one of the greats, and yeah, yeah, to be given that amount of praise and those yeah. compliments after Huge. like going toe to toe with them in a practice, like um, yeah, and props else? to that security guard for getting him on the court in the yeah, first which place. Which he does call it the security guard at the end of uh, mm-hmm. invitation. Hey, Wolves fans, it's Greg, producer extraordinaire. Um, 
don't know where the end of the audio went for this episode. So I apologize for that and just how messy it's been getting out the episodes in the past few weeks. Me and Cheetah are trying to figure out some technical difficulties alongside of like where to record and how we're going to be doing it um, between studios and stuff like that. But I think we have an idea. We should be getting back to Friday rollouts in a non-messy fashion. So thanks for sticking with us. So now you get a solo sign off from me. So peace.